Welcome, everybody, to our next monthly event in the Spirituality Series, Amazing Grace. And my name is Herb. I'm an alcoholic. I would like to welcome you, certainly. Um, perhaps pray the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things that cannot change. Courage to change the things I can. And wisdom to know the difference. We're very fortunate to have the support of the Mary and Joseph Retreat Center. Uh, this uh, administration and the registration, they give us a total administration support. And uh, I'm happy to... Uh, make clear to you that this is a fundraiser in that sense that all of the registration fees go directly to and only to the Mary Joseph Retreat Center, especially to support them during this time of difficulty in terms of physical meetings, although they've become very active again. Um, and uh, I'm going to introduce you to Jose, who is our host today, and he Probably got a few words for us, both about the, what we're doing and the retreat center. Please, Jose. Thank you, Herb. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, everyone. Uh, my name is Jose Salas. I am the hospitality coordinator here at Mary and Joseph Retreat Center. On behalf of the staff and the uh, daughters of Mary and Joseph, I'd like to welcome each and every one of you. Uh, for those of you who haven't been on our grounds, uh, we have eight acres of lush gardens. We have a beautiful labyrinth chapel, uh, meeting rooms and bookstores for those people who would want to come and enjoy. Um, but just a few words, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and toss it back to Herb in a little bit. But Herb has been connected to the Mary and Joseph Retreat Center for many years now, and it's truly part of our family. His 12-step and centering prayer groups have been extremely popular at the Retreat Center for many decades now, and he has built now uh, these offerings to Zoom platform due to the pandemic. Uh, Herb's journey includes seven years of Claritian Seminary, a graduate education in psychology, 40 years in human resources consulting, a certification in spiritual director, 37 years of active participation in the 12-step fellowship, and the publication of three books on spiritual awakening. So uh, without further ado, I'd like to welcome Herb. Oh, thanks very much, Jose. And uh, today, uh, it's a different title for us, uh, although we're familiar with the song, I'm sure, and the lyrics. Um, it uh, was a topic that I was asked to address about three, four years ago at a uh, roundup here locally that we have annually. And I did some preparation for it, some thought and etc. And I thought it would be wonderful to resurrect it especially during this month of Thanksgiving, which in the United States has a big significance. It's a national holiday of some kind. And there's four days that typically people have off either to en enjoy some travel or and connection with their family. <clears throat> I looked up the, the word amazing. The best definition that 
I came up with from the dictionary was wonder. Stop for just a minute and look at your life. Wow, the very fact that you're here <laughs> is a wonder. Literally, it's awesome. Yes, filled with awe uh, from me and from my standpoint. Now, it might be you're brought here from different motivations. Maybe there's some trouble in River City in your life, and there's some pain that <clears throat> you're experiencing as a cycle or as a in your life and or your recovery. So ask yourself today, right now, why are you here? What brought you to it? I mean, it's an interesting title. It's not quite catchy. Is there any area in your life that stimulates wonder or awe, A-W-E, not awful, <laughs> but full of awe? Although awful led me to a life full of awe. More of that as we go through this discussion. I've talked about it. Some of you may have heard me talk about spiritual math. This is what we're talking about, grace. One plus one in the math world is equals to two. Keep it really simple. But my experience now, I'm... Sober since 1984 and awake since 1988. And I make that distinction. And I just started doing that a couple of years ago because it's critically important. Sober was a gift that I didn't ask for, that I was given irretrievably, psh, released, or Bill used the word delivered. I just heard it um, last month. I was listening to an old tape of his from the 50s. <clears throat> And he said, I was delivered. Never heard him say it before. What a great phrase to capture grace. I was delivered. My wife was in the hospital in February 1984 for her drinking. The hospital asked me to quit drinking to support her recovery. I was willing to do that. There's the key. One word throughout the big book. It's the key that unlocks the door, willingness. It doesn't tell us uh, ready willingness. It doesn't tell us anything. There's no adjective, just willingness. I was willing to support her recovery, thinking that I was going to quit drinking for 90 days while she was in her program. A story for a different day but I haven't had a drink or an inclination for a drink since that day, February 20th, 1984. I eventually joined AA and got a sponsor and went to meetings. And for four years, that's what I did, go to meetings. Blah, 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 blah. You know, I didn't know any better. I didn't hear any better. I was a good AA by my definition. And then I met a man who rocked my world with a five-minute talk. And my needle pointed north. I'd never heard or experienced a teacher 
That's what I call him now, as I had experienced him. And he agreed to help me. Go through the big book and the steps. And I woke up. It was embarrassing, actually. Not that I wasn't waking up, but that I didn't know that I didn't know that I was asleep. 48 years old. A graduate education in philosophy, psychology, and theology, three different, based on the pursuits that I had up until that time. <clears throat> and I was trained to be self-reflective, and I am by nature. Missed it, missed it 100%. Spiritual math, one plus one equals two in regular math. One plus one equals five in spiritual math. That three point difference is from my standpoint, grace. It's a story I make up about it. It's the story I accept about it. It's a story, I don't know the truth of it, but that explanation satisfies me when they talk about grace that component of mystery a component of I, I we can't i can't explain it i can't explain god god is the word that is the symbol for the reality that has no word that would be appropriate i looked last night at thinking about this uh, i looked up the word synergy Fabulous word. Uh, you've used it many times, but not totally clear as to the definition of it. And it said, the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. Nailed it for me. That's grace. The whole, Herb, as you see him today, 37 years after he got sober, 32 two years after he woke up. The only explanation for the life that I have now, the consciousness that I have now, is some X plus factor. My wife used to call that X plus factor. I don't have to explain it, but I do relish the observation, which gives me hope and a sense of confidence to continue growing in my consciousness. So we're coming up on Thanksgiving here in the United States, as I mentioned. <clears throat> Ask yourself the question, is your life one of survival or is it one of thriving? Huge difference. Up till age 43, I was surviving. Quite frankly, once I was given abstinence, freedom from the alcohol addiction, I didn't know that I was still in effort at surviving, but that's what I would call it today by my standards after 1988. Restless, irritable, and discontent even in Alcoholics Anonymous. 
restless, irritable, and discontent, even though I did the steps on my own in the first year, and I did the steps with this man where I woke up in my fifth year, and then again in my seventh year. It wasn't until my tenth year. I did the steps for the third time with another mechanic with the big book. And I finally connected to unmanageability. And from there, I could see now my life thriving. In fact, uh, I've used the term flourish since then. I was pleased to see about three years ago when I did a study on happiness, the primary driver of that whole positive psychology movement back in the 90s was a uh, professor at the University of Pennsylvania. And uh, his book, Seligman, S-E-L-I-G-M-A-N, his book is entitled Flourish. So I'm gonna talk about awakening, the first half of what we're gonna be doing today. And then I'm going to talk about staying awake. If you've been with me before, you will have seen some of the slides. And in fact, if you've seen some of the slides, you'll think these are the same slides. And some of them are. And some of them are not. I went through these, tailoring them, actually, for today's conversation. Amazing grace. You've heard the tune. I'm sure you know the words. We'll be looking at those words today. About a year ago, I received a uh, disc, a CD, with uh, a variety of approaches and interpretations of the song Amazing Grace. Some were male vocalists, some were female vocalists, some were choirs, some were instrumentals, some were jazz, some were blues. I mean, it, organs and pianos, and it was like guitars. It was like incredible, probably 30 or 40 different renditions. But the one that tore my heart up, I, um, I thought about maybe playing it today, but I don't have it easily available, was bagpipes. Do yourself a favor if you ever want to have a 30-minute meditation. <laughs> Play Amazing Grace, just the tune, not the words, that are done rendition through bagpipes. Now, maybe having a Scottish and Irish background, I'm susceptible to it, but I think the human race will be susceptible to it. <clears throat> In terms of an inspiration, it elevates your spirit. What are we talking about? I mentioned willingness. That is my open-mindedness and my open-heartedness. I didn't know any of that at the time, and I don't know why I was willing, but I was at least willing to be willing. That's my role as a human being. But as I mentioned about spiritual mouth, <clears throat> the outcome of my effort by my standards, by my measurement, the outcome is disproportionately larger than my contribution to it. 
And, and I've got some reasonable measuring sticks. A graduate education in philosophy, a graduate education in theology, a graduate education in psychology, and a lot of therapy group and individual that went with that. And after each one of those exposures and experiences, I knew better. I just didn't do better. I got a lot of information. But as one of the men who took me through the steps said, you have very little transformation. And then I found the step process and I began to be changed. Hear that, please. That's the vocabulary. I began to be changed. I didn't know that at the time. And I only knew that in retrospect. When I finished the work and I stood on the path and I looked over my shoulder at the journey, I could see, oh, now I know I didn't know. Now I see that I didn't see. And I began to behave better, began to. It's a process too. My integrity wasn't an event. It was a process that developed like that dimmer switch, if you've heard me speak before, that dimmer switch that goes up a notch at a time with our willingness and our action. That response to grace, which comes first, willingness or grace, I don't know. I toyed with it in meditation for a long time. I mean, years. Thinking about the chicken and the egg and et cetera, et cetera. <clears throat> Which comes first, willingness or grace? <clears throat> I actually really don't care at this point, but I also know that there's probably not an answer. I accept the X plus factor. It's a grace that I'm willing but it's a grace that I'm in action. And it's a grace that I received uh, the growth that comes from the willingness and the action through my response, experiencing that spiritual math, a life that flourishes. I was in bondage. I didn't know it. Alcohol had me in a swamp grip quicksand, as Bill talks about on page eight in his autobiography. And I didn't know how hard life was with my addiction because my addiction was different than my wife's addiction. You see, when we compare ourselves outside of ourselves, we don't see ourselves. And it was only when I began looking at myself, first at my behavior, then at my thoughts, then at my feelings, then at my motives, then at my beliefs. And all of that took 10, 12 years going through the steps three different times with three different mechanics, each time peeling a layer back, each time. I'm going to read as a meditation these first two paragraphs. And then toward the end of our time today, we'll read together the 
I'll read it for you. The last three paragraphs, <laughs> you don't want me to sing it. In the second grade, I went to the choir because the sister said, please, anybody who's interested in being in the choir, come and, and, and we'll have a wonderful time. I went to the choir and after practice that day, she said, Mr. Kagan, we love your enthusiasm, but why don't you be a listening bird? <laughs> well, there you go. Mm, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. And you know the background. This man was a, a ship owner and a slave trader. And he had an experience that gave him a different heart about it. And he repented. I don't know the exact story. Back, I believe, in the 17, 1800s. It was grace that taught my heart to fear. That's a mistranslation, probably. It's about awe. The translation of the Greek and the Latin of the word has been mistranslated into fear. It really is awe. And grace, my fears relieved. In this case, he might be talking about fear itself, that crippling emotion. How precious did that grace appear? The hour I first believed. Came to believe the second step. After we experienced the suffering sufficient to propel us to look for a solution, and we find some solution, whether it's 12-step or not, there's many roads up the path of the mountain. When we have to ask ourselves, well, is there a power in the universe other than me? What is the power of life? The question here, how does this acorn become that oak tree? That's a pretty gnarly oak tree. You can see that it's been there for a while and it suffered a little lightning. One of its major trunks is gone. That's just life. It's a beautiful, large, old oak tree that came out of that acorn. What's the life force that allowed that acorn to crack open and become that aged oak tree? Dr. Berger, who gave me this slide, he works, we work together as co-facilitators in emotional sobriety. He has a new book on emotional sobriety. If you don't have it, you, it might be a benefit to you. Emotional sobriety, Dr. Alan Berger. He calls this life force here, the organismic life force. It's a great phrase because it, 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 it takes away all of the spiritual or theological or religious implications for people who have some negativity in their background or some unfortunate experience with spirituality and or 12-step and or religion. Organismic life force. I believe in the life force of the universe. I believe in the organism of the cosmos. 
a living organism, web-like connections. So what is it that you believe about life? Life in general. You've heard me say, I believe what Einstein said a long time ago, the consciousness that created the problem cannot be the consciousness that solves the problem. Brilliant. I love succinct sayings like that, that get right to the heart of it. My mind is a wonderful instrument, but it has betrayed me. I can't trust it. I still don't trust it 100%. I trusted it, obviously, way too much prior to coming into the program. Now I see that I did not see. Now I know that I did not know. It wasn't my fault. It wasn't because of dint of effort. I'm a mad dog seeker, have been since I was 10 or 12 years old but I wasn't a finder. The heartbreak for me is that I didn't know I wasn't a finder. I thought that seeking was the deal. I'm one of those slow ones. This man said to me, Herb, you have a lot of information, but very little transformation. You need to set aside that information including the step work, including the big book, including the meetings, including your sponsor direction, set it all aside. I'm not saying throw it away. I'm saying set it aside. You may be familiar with a set-aside prayer. You've never seen this one before because I created it last week for this event. God, please set aside everything that I think I know about myself, my brokenness, my unmanageability, my path and you for an open mind and an open heart and a new experience with myself, my brokenness, my unmanageability, my path, and especially you. So in light of that set-aside attitude, Ask yourself these questions. These have been reworked too. Where is your life currently not working? Right now, it might be with addiction. If it's not, where's your, what's your current source of suffering? Source. I didn't say what your suffering is. Your source of suffering. How effective have you been in dealing with that? over the last month or six months currently. Do you really want to change? Challenge yourself. If in fact you're not changing, maybe it's because you really don't want to. This is a reworked question. What specific change would you like? Specific. If you've heard me talk about step six and seven, my experience, the first time I went through the steps out of the big book with a mechanic, I, I use that word as a step guide. You know that that was the key that unlocked the door for me for change, step six and seven. 
to pray specifically. That information's not in the big book. That information's not in the 12 and 12. It was shared in a step meeting that I go to, that it was somebody's personal experience. And I listened to that. Pray specifically for the change and then talk specifically to someone about what you're praying about and how you're behaving. The prayer is pretty easy because God doesn't challenge me. Being accountable is pretty hard because the person is my accountability partner does challenge me. I pray because I'm powerless, but I'm accountable because I'm human. And it's a, it's a knockout combination, a one-two punch. The behavior changed in 24 hours. The behavior changed. But the inclination, which is the character defect, didn't go away for two years. The good news is the behavior changed almost immediately. The really good news is the inclination actually went away. After two years of consistent prayer and accountability, the inclination to the character defect was healed and has never returned. Amazing. Grace. So are you willing to take action? Are you willing to be accountable? As you've heard me say many times, accountability is probably the single most important moving part in the constituent components of the program. Because if you're accountable, you will do all the other parts. You've probably seen this slide before. I keep saying that to you because I've got lots of veterans in terms of the herb exposure, but pay attention though, I changed this slide for this function today. A brainstem, this is at the top of our spinal column. It's the first brain that we were given millions of years ago as a single brain, and its job was our survival and safety. It's the what we call the lizard brain. Millions of years later, we developed this limbic system. Notice the new words. This is about our emotions for satisfaction and security. Each of us has these two brains but they don't make us human. They operate the brainstem like a vegetable or a lizard, the limbic system like a gorilla or a dog or a cat. Mammals all have emotions, but there's no self-reflection there. What makes us specifically human is our cortex that we can know and decide new words here. Freedom and happiness. I'm pretty impressed with the words of the orientation of the founding fathers of the United States. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. 
these are the constituent elements of our human happiness, of our human satisfaction. Life, of course, that comes from our brainstem and our limbic system. But freedom and happiness coming from to know better and to do better. To become a decent human being, living a life of harmony with other decent human beings, the community of humanity. Knowing being aware of, self-reflecting, self-conscious. We're the only sentient beings that can do that, to our knowledge. And making a free, completely voluntary decision. That's the basis of all civilization. And they go hand in glove, of course. But we all know especially if you've done any work in unmanageability, pages 60 to 62 in the big book, that we can know better. We just don't do better on a consistent basis. Step 11 ends that way. Listen to step 11, praying for the knowledge of God's will and the power to carry it out. Bill knew it. He may not have known it academically like we're looking at it here today, but he knew it intuitively. He was a smart and fairly educated in a very narrow, he had a law degree. Not in a broad sense, either in science or in philosophy, but he was a seeker and he accumulated lots of information over time from different mechanics himself. So what makes us as a human being? This is a wonderful question. Obviously, we need to look at our structure tells us our destiny. Our structure tells us our meaning. Our structure tells us our purpose. We have a mind to know. Consciousness. This is the human destination. This is our invitation to be awake and to be conscious and to use our will to decide. As Bill comes out of step 10 in the big book, pages 84 and 85, he talks about the proper use of the mind to know God's will. The proper use of the will to do it. It's that simple. Oh, well, of course, then we have to know what that means, God's will, don't we? The whole 12-step process allows us to try to unpack that. You've seen this before, but not with these words. Maybe it'll unpack it in a different way for you. Spirituality is not mystical. Spirituality is not mysterious. Spirituality is not ambiguous. The way I use it, the word means relationship. That's all it means, a relationship. It doesn't mean divine. It doesn't mean God. It doesn't mean fourth dimension. In the biggest of pictures, of course, in the big book and the step process, it means all of that specifically. 
but it doesn't have, we don't have to embrace that vocabulary. But it's about power. I don't have sufficient power. That's why I suffer. I need sufficient power. That's my hope. Applying steps one through three at least gives us the potential solution for that. Page 53, do you believe or don't you believe? What's your choice? And then we do steps four through seven to establish a relationship with ourselves. I did not, with all the background that I had, all the self-reflection that I had, all the academic education that I had, all the therapy and the teachers and the spiritual guides, etc., that I had, I didn't have any self-reflection. I mean, accurate. I was delusional, and I didn't know, of course, that's the nature of delusion, until I did this work. Digging deep under the conscious, actually revealing the unconscious. The big book doesn't talk this way, but I can because that's my experience. I was able to uncover the beliefs that I have, the lenses through which I look at reality. Most of us look through the lens of our beliefs and see what we see, and it's a distortion of reality, but we don't know that because that's what we see. Going through the process that I was exposed to in the big book, I was able to look at the lenses themselves and to have those lenses reground so that they were more accurate. And therefore, I could see reality as it is more approximately. And then I can take more accurate actions, which are more effective, and I can course correct more quickly. Because I was also introduced to step 10, a relationship with others. Now, this is a new application. I haven't had a slide up that has said my relationship with others is steps 8 through 10. I've had it 8 through 9. But when you think about it, step 10 is all about my relationships with other people because it's other people that disturb me. And the 12 and 12 is very clear. It's a spiritual axiom. When I'm disturbed, there's something wrong with me. Use step 10 to be back in alignment. Again, that word's not in the big book. Bill said it very early in the big book. We know only a little more will be revealed. Step three for me is a step of a decision to have a relationship of alignment. Step two is a decision to have an adequate and healthy concept. But step two is only about a concept. There's no action there. Step three, there's no action, but there's a commitment to a relationship with reality. That relationship being alignment, to be in parallel, rather than at cross purposes with life. Step 10 is that primary tool. Recapping steps one through nine so that I can live on a daily basis in harmony, so that I can live on a daily basis in alignment. And I've separated now steps one through nine from steps 10 through 12. 
because steps one through nine are the program of recovery. Steps 10 through 12 are the program of life, the program of living, the program of management of our life. Yes, we manage our life. God does not manage our life. That is, has no appeal to me at all. That language, God, I turn it all over to God. No, you don't. Step three says you turn your life and your will over to the care of God. You've heard me talk about the GPS. I don't know where I'm going, but I have an address. I use my GPS and I follow direction. God positioning system. Step three and step 10. GPS, God positioning system. I practice. Life is a practice. I practice step 10, that spot check inventory. I practice step 11, in the morning to have more consciousness and guidance, that's my GPS, and in the evening to do a radar sweep to see how much, how well I did and what needs to be corrected in the morning. And step 12 just elaborates the principles and the core value proposition of helping other people. And also that others can wake up, that's the message. One of my teachers talks about the core of goodness as the inherent meaning of each individual. I've changed this. This is our personal meaning. You give yourself meaning. What is it for you to develop your competencies, your meaning, your purpose, your destiny? Why are you here and what does life mean to you? It's a very unique and individual determination. And it's critically important. All the studies I did on, that, that I read, uh, that had been done on happiness in preparation for another talk, lots of work has come out of Harvard and the University of Pennsylvania on happiness. Every one of them concluded, over 10 studies that I read, 10 books of different studies that I read, you want to be happy? Have a meaning broader than yourself and contribute to the life around you. It's that simple. Have that personal meaning. Now, of course, you have genetics that determine a whole bunch about who you are. You have a family culture that has shaped or misshaped you, has formed or deformed you. You've had experiences and emotions similarly, and you've had some education with some information. These are called the nesting dolls. You've seen them in the shops. They all fit into one another and they all look alike because that's who we are. That large doll there, Matushka, the Russians call it mother. And the purpose of any human development process is to identify your biology and the genetics and the implication of that and to accept it. This is your story, my story. What is my family culture? It determined a lot of my perceptions and a lot of my conclusions and a lot of my beliefs. My relationship with my parents and my relationship with 
my early teens and my early adult and all of the exposures that I had to people and circumstances determined. And yet, through this 12-step process, I've been able to peel those all back to come up finally after three different journeys through the steps, three different experiences broadening and deepening my experience to a sense of a personal signature, my uniqueness, my competencies. Bill has a great phrase in one of the traditions. He said, the good may be the enemy of the best. I hope you hear this. The good may be the enemy of the best. You see, all of us, reasonably intelligent, fairly well-educated, exposed common sense, you know, we got it going on. And yet each one of us has a particular talent or a unique gift, a competency that only you have in a special way. Maybe one or two, not more than one or two, usually. But we're really good at five or ten things. The meaning of that phrase is the more I spend time on all of the good things I can do, listen to it, if they're all good, all the good then I'm dissipating the energy of the focus on the one or two things which are my gift, my special, unique competency, like my fingerprint, like my DNA. The good may be the enemy of the best. That's an inventory. I made a list of all the good things I was doing seven years ago when I sold the family home and we needed to recalibrate how we were going to live and what we were going to do and where we were going to live. And I had, let's assume I had 10 things that I was doing. Very good things. But I had one or two things that were my gifts, my specialty. And in fact, the warm spot in me when I was doing them, the thing that gave me real joy and a sense of personal meaning. So within three months, I eliminated everything that wasn't a number one on a scale of five. That was so beneficial and freeing that I do that every year now. I look at all the things that I last year considered were all the best things, all the priority things, and I recalibrate on a scale of one to five. And, and that bullseye gets more pinpointed, more pinpointed, more pinpointed. Of course, it's age appropriate. As I get older, my energy goes down, my resilience goes down, my stamina goes down. So there's less of me to give. So I need to be very, very focused as to how, how do I use my time? How do I use the time that's invested in my life? You've seen this, I'm sure if you've been around me any while, <clears throat> this is a comparison that was done by Dan Sherman in his big book, Awakening. From the bedevilments on page 52 to the promises on page 83. If I'm doing the math correctly, that's 31 pages. That steps one through nine. The bedevilments are the unmanageability that soul sickness, human as it is, it's still the cancer of the soul. 
and we do steps one through nine and we experience those promises and they really rank together as an organic flow. I'm not going to read them today. You can do that work on your own, compare the bedevilments, each one of them with each one of the promises. And most of all, we will suddenly realize that God is doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. It's the story. It's the interpretation. It's the one I've embraced. The G-O-D word is a symbol for the mystery, is a symbol for the grace, is a symbol for the organismic life force. I don't know what it is. I conclude that it is because it is my experience of being taken from the darkness to the light. I was in bondage of addiction until I got free from grace. I didn't even ask for it. I didn't go to AA for three months. Abstinent, three months I go to AA. And then I'm a good aa for four years, and then I work the steps, and I begin to understand the nature of my disease, body problem and a mind problem. And then I work the steps with a third man and understood unmanageability, a will problem. And I got free. I was delivered from my addiction right away. I was delivered from my unmanageability from a conscious decision and action at 10 years of sobriety. And Bill says, we're not cured. We have a daily reprieve. We enter the world of the spirit. We're dealing with our body and our mind and our will, all of the things we saw in the brain. And we have recovered, placed in a position of neutrality. Hear the language in the big book. I'm quoting, placed in a position of neutrality. That's amazing grace. It gives us physical sobriety, abstinence from the substance and or the process. But then he says we're not cured. We have a daily reprieve, contingent on the maintenance of our spiritual condition. Well, what does that mean? Ask yourself again some more reflection questions. Is my daily life a sense of well-being? Today, with whatever time you have and from whatever freedom that you have from your addiction, substance addiction or process addiction, freedom is the promise, not happiness. Freedom is the promise, not joy. Freedom is the promise, not a life of ease and comfort. Freedom, freedom from the addiction, but freedom from unmanageability. Do you have that freedom? Is your daily life full of contentment? I'm pausing so you can think about it. Maybe make a note. 
Bill says we're rocketed into a fourth dimension. Again, hear the delivery. Oh, yes, we get on the rocket. We get in the rocket. Absolutely, that's our willingness. Each one of us has different stories of the, quote, Eskimo, close quote, that exposed us to the possibility of a solution. But eventually, we had to take some action. Each one of our stories will be quite unique and quite different. And yet, generally, there's a similarity to, to them. We got on the rocket. We didn't know we were getting in a rocket. And Bill promises us that that rocket will take us to the fourth dimension. Well, what on earth is Bill talking about? Fourth dimension. Well, the third dimension, of course, is height, width, and depth. A material reality. The fourth dimension, I believe, the implication is it's an immaterial reality. Bill uses the term spiritual in contrast to material or human. I've mentioned spiritual in terms of relationship. A relationship with other with a capital O, that organismic life force, that literally unknowable reality. I mean, we don't even know that there is this reality, no in the sense of evidence or concreteness. It's not scientific. It literally is a leap of faith, making a decision to walk across the canyon, and there is no floor. You remember Indiana Jones, that's the image I have when I talk like that. Standing at the edge of the chasm, needing to get to the other side and finally going, taking a deep breath and putting his foot out and the, and the, and the path, the support emerged. a relationship with other. It's a faith decision. There's no evidence. There's no concreteness. There's no visibility. There's nothing tangible. That's why they call it faith. There's no certitude. There's no feeling. Bill asked us on page 53, God is or God isn't. What is your choice? There it is. And he says immediately that you are confronted with the question of faith. That decision, that empty, invisible, immaterial, dark response. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Said out of desperation and hope. And then taken to a place where we have a healthy relationship with, our, with ourselves and with others. This is rocketed into the fourth dimension. We're not cured. We have a daily reprieve based on a practice of step 10 for alignment, based on a practice of step 11 for understanding, consciousness. I use the term conscience there at the top of the PowerPoint slide for our tool of step 10. 
we develop a conscience that when we're disturbed, we know it's coming from us and we take personal responsibility for it. It means it's signaling us this disturbance, this feeling of disturbance is a radar bleep letting us know we're out of alignment. In the morning, we sit and ask for alignment and guidance, that GPS, understanding what perhaps God's will is for us that day. It's an interpretation of our thinking. And step 12 is the implementation of that. Step 11, the use of our mind to think. And step 12, the use of our will to say yes, to take action. Bill gave us those two words, understanding and effectiveness in step 10, pages 83 and 84. We grow in understanding and effectiveness. We grow in knowing and we grow in our ability to do what we know to be the right, the next indicated thing. This is putting us in orbit around the power, putting ourselves in orbit around the light. This is our way of life, Bill calls it. The problem is we, uh, we fall asleep. The ego has a tendency to regenerate itself, said Dr. Tebow. Our beliefs are the lenses through which we look and they're distorted. And they'll always be distorted because we're rooted in self-centeredness, Bill says on page 62. And we can't even reduce it much by wishing or trying on our own power. That's what he means by unmanageability. That's what he means by the spiritual malady. That's what he means by daily reprieve, not cured. We're constantly having to fine-tune our lens. Now, in step four, we used a uh, hacksaw and uh, hammer and chisels in step four. But in step 10, we're using smooth sandpaper. There's still bumps that need to be smoothed out. I hope you're getting kind of the feel of progress that Bill talks about on page 60. But never perfection. Perfection is God. And when we get confused, we try to be the director. We try to be God. We try to be the center of the world. And we're not. We're the center of our world. We're just not the center of the world. And our emotions tell us when we're out of alignment, when we're trying to be the director rather than take the humble place of being the actor. Following direction, that GPS concept again. Step 10 is just a wonderful tool when it's understood. It's not to be done at night. It's not to be done in writing. It's to be done immediately. The 12 and 12 gives us that interpretation, a spot check inventory on the spot when i'm disturbed i pray i discuss i make an amend if i've done something to harm somebody and then i turn my thoughts to helping somebody else 
just a very quick dust up. I pause when agitated, he says in step 11 in the uh, big book, pause when agitated. He's referring then to the 10 step tool so that we have a conversion experience. We continue having a attitude of forgiveness, releasing others from our story, releasing ourselves from our own story and not taking life personally, trusting life, not fearing. Take a look at Bill's instruction, very succinct instructions in the fear inventory on page 68. They're a reciprocal relationship. The more I fear, the less I trust. The more I trust, the less I fear. They're not exclusive. They live uh, comfortably under the same roof. It's like that teeter-totter, a balance. Like step 10, a balance of our emotions. Rigorous honesty is how he introduces how it works on page 58. Two-thirds of that page is all about honesty. If you can't be honest, he said, because it's genetic or biological, he said you're doomed. But if you can at least be honest about your dishonesty, <laughs> mentally and emotionally sick is going to be not an impediment if you have the ability to just let the light in just a little bit. I changed this word now. I used to put the word love there. First time I've had it up here, altruism. I talk about it a lot. I looked it up. It means to take an action for the benefit of somebody else with no possible benefit for yourself. Fabulous. The AKA unconditional love. But unconditional love is hackneyed in the sense that it's used so much we actually don't know what it means. And when we really get really clear as to what it means, it's not possible for a human being to be unconditional. I don't, I'm uncomfortable with it other than it signals the, like a lot of progress and a lot of effort and at least the, the right vision. Altruism nails it though. This is my outlook. I want to look through the eyes of how can I help you do what you need to get done to quote Chuck C from a new pair of glasses. How can I help? Notice and take action. I drop the word service. I use the word help. It's much earthier. Talks about feet on the ground and getting your hands dirty. How can I help? This is not theoretical stuff. How do my feet move to contribute to the happiness or the improvement and or the reduction in suffering of the people around us? This is emotional sobriety. You've heard me recommend Fred Luskin's book. His book is a scientific book based on psychology and credible research. But the process parallels 
what we experience in steps four through nine, to name it, my hurt, to understand it, my hope, column three and column four. Identify the rules of my belief. He has a great phrase that we need to, un, uh, we need to identify unenforceable rules. You see, that's the story we have. You should, they should, life should, I should. The word should is a shortcut to un, a shortcut inventory to understand what your beliefs are. Not bad or good. It just reveals your belief. And then you look it up and you hold it up and you say, is that even reasonable, let alone true? We have a lot of beliefs. We don't know that we have. Those are the lenses through which we look, through which we process reality that determines how we think and how we feel and how we behave. So it's really incumbent on us to know what our beliefs are and to acknowledge reality about my attitude and my values and my motives. Ultimately, to take responsibility. My life is my responsibility, not my mother's or father's and not my partner's and not my sponsor's and God, not God's even. I have free will and I can make choices. Accepting 100% responsibility for the life that I have, for the feelings that I have, for the thoughts that I have, and especially for the behavior that I manifest. And then if I want to change something because it's not working by my definition, I'm not getting the harmony and the happiness that I want, then I make course corrections. Forgiveness is a process of changing, just like the connotation of spiritual awakening to change. It's not mysterious. It's not uh, mystical. It's a change in our attitude. Read Viktor Frankl, Man's Search for Meaning, a psychiatrist living in Auschwitz, a Jew, survived it, wrote a book on it, Man's Search for Meaning, said the only thing that I can influence, he didn't use the word control, the only thing that I can influence is my attitude about everything. Accepting life on life's terms, not imposing my script on life, but reading life as it is, reading life as it is, the script, as it manifests, and taking the actions based on an objective evaluation of reality. Forgiveness is a fancy word. It's a wonderful word. Look it up. The best definition in my dictionary was to release. To release the story. To release them. And quite frankly, eventually to experience being released. That's the grace. I can do the intellectual work. I can do the accountability work. I do the action work and moving my feet for amends. 
And you, you saw it in the, in the St. Francis prayer. To the extent that I release them, I am released. Hear that. That's the grace. I make a decision to release. That's my willingness and that's my action. And when I do that, it is a mystery. I am released. A forgiving person has no past. An unforgiving person has no future. It came to me in meditation after rereading Dr. Luskin's book. And based on my experience of doing the steps, looking forward and looking backward. This is the way of life that we've been given. Clearing the channel in step 10. Using step 10 as an inventory for alignment. That's the purpose of it. We're disturbed. We're out of alignment. We can take the action by knowing that we're disturbed. And asking for help to be placed in alignment and moving our feet as if we already have the help. That's that faith that leads into belief that leads into trust. The faith is my decision. The belief is my acceptance that that's the way it is, life as it manifests. And trust is taking the actions as if that syllogism is correct. God is. God is power. God will help. God is available. I'm going to act as if it's true. It's all faith, though. It's all my story. I believe my story. You've heard me quote Father Rohr before, Richard Rohr, one of my teachers. Faith is the acceptance of that for which there is no evidence. And once we accept it, the evidence appears. Fabulous. And then we allow that fill the channel of grace and light and organismic life force. We allow that channel to empty out to the world and the community around us in usefulness based on principles. So you see, the, you get a sense of the organic nature of this process built specifically for us. All of the odd steps are action. Decision and action steps. All of the even steps are knowing steps, understanding steps. Look at it that way. It's a dynamic that honors us. It's built specifically for us as human beings, having a mind and having a will. All right, let's um, stop here for a little break of questions. Um, I mine is just a simple question. I couldn't read the bottom of the brain picture where those new words were. All right, because they're new, I'm not going to trust that I know them. <laughs> All right, the brainstem is physical survival and safety. Thank you. All right, and the emotion is satisfaction and security. And the uh, 
cortex is freedom and happiness. Yeah, I, I like that freedom and happiness. Well, I'm trying to, as I was discerning over the, the last two weeks, I'm trying to coordinate all the vocabulary so that it's all complementary and integrated and reflective of where I start that I'm going through the same process in each of them and not changing up the vocabulary or the perspective so that we can really see the integrated whole of all of this. I was very impressed uh, with um, um, the process for me. I, <laughs> I have a lot of fun tinkering with the words. I mean, so I know like the dictionary definition of the word alignment, but the way that you're using it, I just wondered if you could yes. elaborate because it makes me think of like, this, then there's the separation, right? Between like me and something else and getting aligned and it, um, um, yes. which doesn't, yeah. If you can maybe just say more. Oh, about I'm, I'm glad you asked. And uh, uh, I didn't do the normal gesture that I do with that. And so I was talking to a young man at one point named Kevin, actually. He was um, in a treatment center for the eighth time, eighth time inpatient treatment center. He's 24 years old. Obviously, a lot of problems in his life, a lot of suffering in his life. And he told me very clearly he didn't want to talk about spirituality, 12-step meeting, sponsorship, or God. I go, okay, <laughs> great. I had to get real quiet and uh, I, I wanted to help him, but he just eliminated all my vocabulary. So I just went quiet for 30 seconds. I don't know whether he noticed it or not, but I went and I paused and I placed myself in the presence of what I consider to be the spirit. And I said, I need help. And it came to me, I said, Kevin, so do you believe that there's a life force, a life force in the universe? Oh, yeah. Like in uh, Star Wars, he said, yeah, may the force be with you. And I said, OK, in my heart, I said, I got gotcha. you. <laughs> and uh, so I said, OK, so there's this life force. And do you believe that you have free will? Oh, yeah. He says, I can leave anytime I want. I'm here for the, you know, I'm trying to figure it all out. But if I get pissed off, I'm going to leave. I have free will. I said, okay, great. So right now, because of your addiction, you're going at cross purposes with the life force. And eventually you're suffering enough to come into treatment eight different times. The whole point of a treatment program is for you to get a, enough information and understanding and be willing to turn to be in alignment with the life force. This is you in life and going with the flow rather than going against the stream. Alignment means that you're listening to your inner voice when you're disturbed so that you're going to, from now on, live according to some principles that you can determine and seek out for yourself. Because when you go against principles, like the principle of gravity, for instance, it's a physical principle. If you go against the physical law of gravity, you will be hurt or you will die. If you cooperate with the physical gravity, you, there are universal principles like honesty and integrity and fidelity and consideration and kindness and humility. There's no official list, but those are the kinds of things that when you live in those principles, you're in the flow of life and life becomes a lot easier to navigate. 
That's what I mean by alignment. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, definitely. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Something quite surprising happened after many years of recovery and actively working steps, um, which falls into more the psychology category, but there have been some experiences where I seem to fall into PTSD and my behavior, I can identify it. I can see where I'm disturbed. I can make an amends, but I feel like it's so far out of my, I don't even feel like I'm myself when these things happen. So it's hard for me to understand where the character defects exist and where I guess trauma healing exists. Well, that's a really, really good point because um, we're becoming very aware today professionally about, I'm not, I'm not a professional, but the professional world is becoming very aware of the impact of trauma, which really started in, in getting sophisticated during the Vietnam War when they talked about PTSD. And then as they develop a lot of research around uh, that kind of war trauma, they then found it about uh, mental illness trauma, physical trauma, emotional trauma. And uh, then they applied it to a home where there was addiction trauma. And then they said, well, if there's loss trauma, like a death or abandonment or uh, so many different so the whole world of trauma has extended to encompass a large percentage of people's experience. And trauma gets, as I understand it, trauma gets recorded in the cellular structure. Yeah. And so inventory is probably not going to touch it at the level it needs to. And if it's true bona fide life-changing trauma, at the physical or, or emotional level, probably need to deal with professionals to unpack that so that it's released. <clears throat> One of my teachers, I'm, I'm hoping this is all helpful because this is all spontaneous flow here from my stream of consciousness. One of my teachers is uh, Father Thomas Keating, a Trappist monk who talked about that core of goodness. And he talks about the contemplative practice, which is a meditation practice of stillness and presence. Uh, he said, we sit in the presence of power, getting as quiet and present to that power. And as we do, our entire system begins to relax and our cellular structure opens up and the trauma is released and the negative influences and impacts are released and they begin floating up to the surface and it really feels nasty. It really feels like you're vomiting negative stuff in a spiritual or emotional sense. He calls it the evacuation of the unconscious. And so, I mean, I think that's about a wonderful picture for the, because as I've heard it, and I, I read science, I'm not a scientist, but as I've heard it, every stimulus we've ever received, every stimulus we've ever received in our life has been stored in our cellular structure. That's an overwhelming concept. 
And, and so that's why there's lots of disturbance in our personal lives until we have the sort of the cleansing of the system in some holistic way. Sometimes the 12 steps will do that. I, in my own case, there was an awful lot of penetration of the unconscious through step four over about a 10 or 12 year period. But I was also in therapy, in and out of cycles of therapy with a clinical psychologist to deal with some of the stuff that couldn't be processed just on my own. Is that, does that, does that help? It's incredibly helpful. And I love that vision, the visual of sitting in contemplation and letting it go. Well, think about the act of faith that that represents. Going back to my original comments, I'm sitting in the presence of power and uh, I, I, don't have a, I don't have a duality concept. I have a non-dual concept. I'm sitting in the presence of power as part of the power. And I'm inviting the power to heal me. Like sitting in the presence of the sun, I'm going to get suntanned. That's my image. Yeah, yeah. That's my image. Sitting in the presence of light, the darkness is going to be dispelled. I, thank you. I love that. Really love it. It's powerful, isn't it? It's incredibly powerful. Yeah, yeah. And I believe it's true. See? I believe it's true, too. <laughs> and, so, and so I do it. And when I look back over my shoulder, I'm amazed at the grace to stay in time with the theme here. <laughs> Beautiful. Thank you very much. All right. Let's take a break then uh, for five minutes. Uh, it might be a little bit less than that, but it won't be more than that. And um, get comfortable. We'll be back in a minute. Five, five minutes, actually. <laughs>
So let's start again then. Um, pray the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things that cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. So the balance that I see as our way of life is like a coin having two sides. One side is step 11, our relationship with other, with a capital O, or O caps in this case. The step itself says to improve our conscious contact. Step 12 is about being other-centered in terms of the small O, as I said, a meaning larger than ourselves, one of the ingredients to having a happy life. And the other is making a contribution to the community around us. Bill uses the term enlarge to explain what he meant in Jim's story on page 35 to 37, where he says he failed to enlarge his spiritual life, but he doesn't tell us what that means in a different context on page 14 at the very bottom of that page in Bill's story, page 14, he says, we perfect and enlarge our spiritual life through work and self-sacrifice for others. Bill nailed it. He, he didn't know the science. He didn't know the psychology. But he knew the spirituality of this process that he had experienced in the Oxford group. That we needed to have a relationship with God as we understand it, he said. I prefer God as we don't understand it. We will never understand it. My mind is like a bucket and God is like an ocean and you can't put an ocean in the bucket. Those kinds of pictures really help me kind of like just relax a little bit and release this need to control my thoughts, to control my understanding, to have it all buttoned down and organized. I can wear it loosely like the scripture says, wear this garment loosely. Step 11 is to improve my knowing and step 12 is to improve my doing. Well, you've heard it. I've changed the slide to reflect for this particular discussion. The answer to the question or at least raising the question are we human beings seeking a spiritual experience or are we spiritual beings seeking a human experience? Yes, that's the answer. Spiritual meaning relationship, human meaning that we can know and do. We can have a relationship with life, with a capital L if you choose. We can have a relationship with others. And we can have a relationship with ourself. Notice the title. Our growth in consciousness. I wrote a reflection. I think it was distributed recently. And, and, and the, the reflection is God is consciousness. Contrast in the question between duality and non-duality. God is consciousness. 
my consciousness is a participation in the divinity in the poetic terms don't take me literally please or take me literally if it helps and so i improve my conscious contact as i practice step 11 that's the whole point of it in the evening we do the radar sweep inventory in the morning we we ask god to direct our thinking and we listen the key for meditation is listening to our thinking, not listening to God speak, because that'll never, well, it hasn't happened in my lifetime. Audibly hearing. No, it never have. But listening to that tiny whispering sound, which is the correct translation, tiny whispering sound, listening to that intuition or inspiration or instinct, depending on where it's coming from, body, mind, or from our will or spirit. That's the GPS that guides us. Listening to my thinking as the possibility that that's the direction that I've asked for. An answer to my prayer, God, please direct my thinking. And then all day long, and I've changed this slide, those of you who have seen it before, it's all been renovated. Inventory is a radar sweep. I love the concept because I'm just looking for the blips. This isn't an onerous task. It takes two minutes. It can take 20 minutes. It doesn't matter. The time is not important. The intention is important. In the morning guidance, I spend 20 to 30 minutes minimum allowing myself to be in the presence of power and then listening for the guidance for the day or maybe even a signal for next year because I'm in discernment about 2022 because I do want to focus on the best, not just good things. My, 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 my annual uh, priorities and, and, and uh, activities change in fine-tuning ways to try to make my mm, exertion of energy to be the maximum effectiveness in helping other people that's my ministry then all day long being mindful new words of the presence bill said it he was a mystic by my standards he was a poet certainly on page 53 God is or God isn't. God is everything or God is nothing. God is everything or there is no God. Presence. God is never absent. But I am in the sense of my awareness, that whole point of a consciousness practice is to be intentional about presence and pause regularly becoming a lantern. The whole point of step 11 is to improve the light in me. I'm not the light, but I can be a lantern. Receiving a spiritual awakening, that change I'm delivered to a different way of thinking and feeling and behaving that's not done, that is done to us, not by us, but not without us. Life is a practice, a practice of that presence through prayer and meditation, certainly, but operating on principles, the heart of step 12, 
is that I'm a person of integrity. I identify principles. I make decisions based on principles. My mantra is that I always take the high road and I be generous. That's what I tell my sponsees. When they ask me for resolution to whatever issue is, identify the principle, always take the high road, and always be generous. This is our way of life. A practice, though. Never, never perfection, a practice. A process, not an event, a practice. Integration, that dimmer switch goes up a notch at a time. Step one through nine, guarantees physical sobriety. Look on page 84 and 85, placed in a position of neutrality. Suggests emotional sobriety. We're not cured. We have a daily reprieve. And suggests steps 11 and 12 at the bottom of page 85. The proper use of the mind to, en to envision God's will for us today. And the proper use of the will is to align my will with that vision. Otherwise, not only our spirit, but our human dignity deteriorates. Unmanageability that spiritual malady, that cancer of the soul begins to metastasize and the light begins to dim and the darkness descends. The obsession takes possession of us without our permission and without our consciousness. Some secrets held, some resentments not dealt with, some forgiveness not granted, some fear not disclosed. And the darkness descends and we relapse back into our addiction. This is a litmus test of your consciousness. You've seen it before. It's been modified a little bit. This turning that we commit to in step three. Made a decision to turn. There's no action in step three. On page 63, Bill suggests a prayer, which is our public witness to the commitment to do steps four through nine, to turn, and my experience is to be turned. That's the amazing grace of it. At the end of the ninth step, to look back over my shoulder and see the spiritual math, that my awakening, startling awakening, is the result of a tremendous amount of work and accountability. And yet, the outcome is disproportionately larger than my contribution to it. I was brought to a place of forgiveness, releasing them and being made aware that I was released. Look at my hand here, if you've not seen me talk about forgiveness before. I have a YouTube workshop on forgiveness itself with Dr. Fred Luskin, who wrote the book. Don't miss it. He's fabulous. I'm okay, but he's fabulous. Forgiveness is a decision to release. 
Look at the hand. Forgiveness is a decision to release. And the prayer of St. Francis and the Lord's Prayer says, and when we forgive them their debt, we are forgiven our debt. When we release them, we are released. It's archetypal. It's the way the human dynamic works. No matter what your orientation, psychology, science, and or spiritual. No matter what tradition you have. The words may differ, but the dynamic is the same because human beings are human beings no matter where they are in history, in culture, and in time frame. Human beings don't change their essence and their structure. That's why this is archetypal work that we're doing here. The dynamic is restorative. The dynamic is healing. The Buddhists talk about the four noble truths. Life is suffering, number one. Number two, suffering comes from attachment. Number three, the solution to attachment is detachment. Number four, detachment comes through the eightfold path. And then they have right action, right thinking, right vocation, right all kinds of eight, eight different kinds of positive actions on or attitudes on our part. Very similar to different, of course, in method as well as vocabulary, but as process nevertheless, like the 10, the 12 step process. A reversal, a change from unprincipled sex behavior to guided by principle. Dishonest, rigorous honesty. It's interesting, isn't it, for me anyway? Chapter five, how it works, starts out with a discussion about honesty. And he puts that jackhammer word behind it, rigorous honesty. We're as sick as our secrets. Transparency is the key. We're talking here about unhealthy guilt and unhealthy shame. There are healthy guilt and shame. But we're talking here about the unhealthy guilt and shame that's put on us by somebody or something or some culture or some family. It's a method of control. And our, and our absolute deepest yearning is for freedom, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So that we can develop some healthy self-worth from doing esteemable things over time, a process like that dimmer switch. The use of my will, either incorrectly in willfulness or correctly, at least by human standards, willingness. Bill says it on page 47, willingness is the cornerstone. It's all it takes is the willingness, that open mind and that open heart. I can use my will to be out of alignment. That's where our suffering comes from. Or I can use the same will to be in alignment. Bill has confirmed that there's some, some deficiency in our will so that it will always choose me. I will be self. I am on my own self-centered. 
That is, I am the center of the universe, not just my universe, but the universe, unless I have a relationship with a power other than myself. A higher power, a higher self. Dr. Berger talks about the best in me managing the worst in me. I love that. The Buddhists talk about the, the true self versus the false self or the higher self versus the lower self, as do the psychologists of some, some of the schools today. The true self and the false self. So who's coming to save me? There's a sign in one of the psychologist's office on the west side. Yeah, he's dead now, but the, the sign was legendary. Over his office, the entrance to his office, nobody's coming. <laughs> I took it into meditation, as you've heard me say, maybe, I am the one I am waiting for. It's brilliant. Nobody's coming. God's not coming. Surely, Herb, you misspeak. <laughs> no, it's a very calculated comment. God's not coming. If there is this reality we call God, it's already here. All we need to do is wake up and access it. That's the whole point of the 12-step process. I am the one I am waiting for to wake up. I call step 10 a conscience practice, receiving the light, aware of the feelings of disturbance on the spot, taking responsibility for alignment so that I'll have serenity. The, I could have used many words there. Harmony would be a word. Homeostasis would be a word. Balance would be a word. But the word we commonly use in the 12-step community is serenity. But we hear it so often and we pray the prayer so often that we become brain dead to it. We don't control anything. Lose the word. I threw it away 25 years ago. Lose the word control. We don't control anything inside or anything outside of ourselves. We influence, absolutely influence, but we don't control. What can I, con what can I influence? What can't I influence? That's the healthy question. And of course, the navigation of the flow of life allows us to make mistakes, not to name us. My mistakes don't name me. They put me on alert and I course correct. Over time, I learn more not to make mistakes. I learn more how to correct mistakes and how to correct them more quickly and more effectively. That's called wisdom. That's the prayer of the serenity prayer, wisdom. It's that intuitive ability to navigate life with a sense of dignity and grace. Very few young people can have wisdom. They haven't made enough mistakes and course corrections. That's what we pray for because we're powerless over it. Meditation is becoming that lantern, receiving that light. 
seeing that I am responsible for the effort, not the results. That was the most freeing thing my spiritual director gave me, 1989. I had done the meditation study and understanding from the big book as I gave you the Reader's Digest version about two minutes ago, to listen to my thinking as direct response from God to my prayer, God, please direct my thinking. My thinking is what I listen to. I don't try to stop thinking. I try to start thinking and pay attention to the thinking as the possible revelation and media of the message. Well, why do I do that? To grow in relationship to the light. I am responsible for the effort, this spiritual director said, not the result. You're as powerless over your meditation as you are over your addiction. What a great insight. He wasn't in a 12-step program, but he gave me such a relief for a task-oriented person. <clears throat> I believed him. I heard him. Again, that was a grace to be able to sit in front of him, let alone to hear him and, 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 and accept what he said at the existential, at the core soul level and know the truth of it. He said, you can, there's only two mistakes that you can make, not show up and leave early. You're not responsible for, oh, not responsible for the results. Every once in a while, it skips a beat here. There we go. A journey, not a destination. See, because going back to that conversation we had about duality and non-duality, there's no place to go. Bill said it. If there is a God, God is everything. That has incredible implications for living life. Not because we'll know it or feel it or even experience it. But you make a decision that it's so. And then you operate as if it is. I make a decision that is so, that's faith. I accept that as the truth, that's my belief. And then I move my feet in accordance with that, with integrity. And that's my trust. A process, not a task. An experience, not an event. Be careful about the thought or the use of the word feelings here. Feelings are wonderful. They're critical in step 10 to be able to navigate life. Feelings are the signals to us of joy so that we know that we're on the right path, the healthy path. Or suffering so that we know that we're not on the healthy path and can make course correction. Feelings are incredibly important, but don't allow yourself to be hijacked and or managed by your feelings. That's the whole role of the cortex. That's the reason for the diagram I put there. That cortex, my mind and my will, is responsible to manage my emotions and to manage my instincts, those survival instincts and those safety instincts and those feeling instincts. All to improve awareness. Listen to step 12 having had a spiritual awakening, awakening. It's about consciousness. It's about awareness. 
And I mentioned about happiness. Certainly it's about having a meaning broader than ourselves. But the second component was, and making a contribution to the people around us. And we're not talking about addiction. We're not talking about 12-step fellowship. We're talking about life. General life of a human being is about help. I'm, I probably need to change that from save to help. <laughs> Who is coming to save them? We are the one. They are waiting for. See, that's the message of the 12th step, lighting the path for others, lighting the path for others. I'm not the light, I'm a lantern, but what's the point of the lantern? To be posted by the path so that others can walk the path in the light of my experience. I'm not the light, I am the lantern. I've changed this slide. I used to have it carry message. It was short circuit, but it actually shortened the meaning of it as I reread and, and meditated on this phrase from the 12th step itself. It says, carry this message. Hmm. Having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message. This message is you can have a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps. That's the message of the 12th step. Oh, there's many messages. No, 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 none's more right, more wrong. But, but I'm reading the English language of the 12th step and understanding this phrase in the context, in the proper context. The message is that you, as a human being, can have a spiritual experience, a spiritual awakening, as the result of working these steps. But they mean finishing step nine. And when you do that, you'll have immunization. We have too much awareness and sensitivity to that word these days because of the pandemic. But Bill says it, 1939, the big book was published. Chapter seven hasn't changed that first sentence. Nothing will so much ensure immunity as intensive work with other alcoholics. Intensive work, immunization, inoculation. As he said in his own story, whenever he got depressed, he got busy helping somebody else that turning away from the quicksand of self-pity to helping other people get out of the quicksand of self-pity will get you out of the quicksand of self-pity. It's an amazing, not intuitive, but it's an amazing process that we know in retrospect. Many, many moving parts of the program. Meetings are important, they're just not the program. Please hear that. I wrote a paper on when did meetings become the program? I asked a person, a very credible, knowledgeable person at Hazleton. Five years ago, I was at the international conference. And the Hazleton guy said, when I asked the question, when did meetings become the program? He said, 1976. <laughs> it startled me. I said, how did you come up with that date? He said, that's when 
insurance companies and business realized they could make profit from recovery. Not a bad thing, but then everything began to change. They sobered people up and then sent them to meetings saying, go to 90 meetings in 90 days. And the meetings, unfortunately, weren't connected to the big book, the step process, or the real understanding of spiritual awakening. And so they just said, yeah, meeting makers make it. I understand the spirit of it. It's just a lie, unfortunately. Step workers who go to meetings will probably make it. <laughs> if they understand the instruction manual and the text and they work the steps precisely out of the instruction manual, they will in fact embrace prayer and meditation because they will have an experience of their powerlessness and they will take action contrary to their inclination because they know that that's how they perfect and enlarge their spiritual life. But look at that in different color. Sponsors the key. I used to think meetings was until I did the steps. Then I thought the steps were until I saw people who, some of, from my peer group 20 years later, four of them had disasters in their life. Two relapses, one a very nasty divorce, and the other a very severe bankruptcy. Their lives had completely collapsed, despite the fact they had the same opportunity and the same experience I did in 1988 and 89. 20 years later, their lives are a mess. Each of them said, I did a personal interview with them. Each of them said, once they'd done the steps, they thought God was their sponsor. They didn't need to get direction from anybody. They had a direct connection. Well, obviously, that didn't work for them because the ego regenerates itself. As I mentioned, Dr. Thibault said before, we need to practice these principles in our relationships and in our families and at work and in our fellowship and community. Chapter 11 in the big book has a fancy poetic title, A Vision for You. But when you read it carefully, it's about practicing principles in our fellowship and in our community. What are those? There's no official list of principles. These are in my way of life document. It's just my, uh, my interpretation and understanding from my experience built on lists that other people have made. I don't take any credit for this other than having thought it through and, and in fact, last year changing the principle for step 10. And, and for this slide, modifying uh, the actions for 10, 11, and 12 as part of the commentary I've had in this discussion about practice. Step 10, we practice developing our conscience knowing when we're disturbed and paying attention to our emotions so that we can course correct. In step 11, the primary principle is awareness, of course. Bill says that, improve our conscious contact. I'd call it a practice of consciousness. 
In fact, in Appendix 2, in the back of the book that talks about a spiritual experience and a spiritual awakening, Bill says, awareness of the presence of God is the essence of a spiritual experience. That's worthy of a meditation or two. Awareness of the presence of God is the essence of a spiritual experience. We're talking about 24-7. Not, not as a reality, but as a, 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 a vision statement, a possibility to be aware of the presence. It'll make, what a difference that makes in my life, to be aware. One of the mystics said, there is no place that there is not God. Another said, in between me and God, there is no between. Another said, God is closer to me than I am to myself. See, all of these people had a real intuition and experience with the non-duality. And then finally, I have used the word altruism. I've discussed it here today as the practice of compassion. But life is a practice. We practice alignment. We practice awareness. We practice helping. Not because we're addicts, but because we're humans. You see, addicts have a problem with addiction, that first half of the first step. Humans have a problem with unmanageability. Now, it's on steroids for addicts, of course, but the translation of unmanageability is for the human being, not just the addicts. Becoming a lantern and lighting the path. This compassion practice is transmitting the light. That's the total purpose of the lantern. Guided by principles. See, I, I use the word internal. It used to be I was a monk for seven years. And I wore a black robe. And I meditated on a daily basis. In 1964, I left the monastery. I hung up the black robe. And I didn't meditate again for another 25 years. I wore the robe, I meditated. I didn't wear the robe, I didn't meditate. Because I was guided by external principles imposed on me like the black robe. As a result of doing the steps, I identified internal principles to me, guided whether I'm in public or viewed by anybody, because these are my principles. They're not feelings. They're guidelines or guardrails. I call them guidelines or guardrails, depending on what you need. With an intention to actually help, as I mentioned. Motivated by altruism. Unconditional love is a great phrase, as long as we embrace its true understanding that I cannot do that to enlarge my spiritual life. A life of love and a life of service. That's how Bob ended his life, his final talk, 1950. He said the two components of our way of life are love and service. That's what I talked about. The psychologist concluded in terms of happiness. 
a relationship to a meaning broader than ourself, life, and a contribution to the people around us. Bill gave us a summary of it in the big book. He said, head in the clouds and feet on the ground. You talk about a perfect mantra for us. That coin I talked about earlier, a relationship with other, step 11, and a relationship with others, step 12. No better image, I think. Head in the clouds. We're talking about that awareness of the mystery. It's kind of a mystical attitude. I don't mind using the term because it is a mystery and we're committed to the, well, on this way of life, we commit to the mystery. To have our consciousness improved through this process. But we keep our feet firmly on the ground. Practical. How can I help? The summary, as I mentioned, of the uh, happiness study <clears throat> talked about creating a gratitude list. Now, many of you have done that periodically, or maybe even have that as part of your practice. The particular commitment that I like to suggest is a, a gratitude list that you put one thing on the list every morning as part of your prayer practice. You, you think about one thing you're grateful for, but the key is that you, on consecutive days, cannot put anything redundant. You cannot put the same thing on the list ever. After 90 days or 120 days, you're really stretching your imagination to think about one thing that you haven't put on the list so far that you're grateful for. Well, you're going to grow in positivity. Now I'm talking about credible science. I'm not a scientist. I'm not a psychologist. I'm not degreed or certified in anything professional. But I read. And, and to a person across the traditions, they talk about growing in positivity when, in fact, we have an orientation toward gratitude. Prayer, of course, and meditation to reduce the defects, as I talked about in step six and seven, or to increase the virtue, as I talked about in step 11. To improve our consciousness. We don't have to say improve our conscious contact. To improve our consciousness, that's the point of meditation. To receive guidance and power. As the step suggests, we pray. Pray for the knowledge of God's will and the power to carry it out. Knowledge for my mind, power for my will. I need to know better in order to do better, but I also need to have power in order to even do better when I know better, because I know that I don't do better even though I know better. And I know all of you followed that because you're all human like me. And progressively, we begin to do better. Helping other people. I read a book recently by a rabbi in the 12-step program. 
Rami Shapiro, called loving kindness. I've adopted that as a mantra. So I know that's sort of the, the Buddhist mantra. I'm a dilettante in reading about, I've never been trained or professionally exposed to Buddhism, but I read quite a bit. Their whole way of life is called that. Their tradition is called a way of life, like ours is, guided by their four, uh, their four noble truths and their eightfold path we're guided by our addiction and the 12-step process of recovery. But the key is accountability for all of the commitments. As you know, you've made lots of January 1st or Easter or Lenten or uh, fourth step, fifth step commitments. You've, we've all done it. And they lose their energy after a while, unless you have an accountability partner that will tell you the truth. They're not your parent, they're not your police, but they're your mirror and sounding board, and they will tell you the truth. If you ask them to, and they're willing to. And if you have an accountability partner, you'll do all the moving parts. So we looked at the first half of Amazing Grace. Let's look at the, sec the, the last part of it. The Lord has promised good to me. His word my hope secures. He will my shield and portion be as long as life endures. Through many dangers, toils, and snares I have already come. Tis grace that brought me thus, has brought me safe thus far. And grace will lead me home. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. Amazing grace, our willingness as action. The man who took me through the steps said, willingness without action is fantasy. My words are very intentional here. Willingness is wonderful, but it's meaningless unless it's connected in, in, in integrity to action. This gift that I've attempted to comment on, to try to make real, both from my understanding as well as my experience, this gift, this grace is an invitation, but it's also the power. I do not understand it. I do not pretend to understand it. I may have mentioned, I don't think I did this time, willingness and grace and grace and willingness. And I took it into meditation for a long time, some years ago. I spent quite a bit of time thinking about, so how, how does it work? Willingness brings me grace or grace brings me willingness. What's the interaction, the, the chicken and the egg? Oh, the egg produces the chicken, but the chicken produces the egg that produces the chicken. It's kind of like, yeah, well, that was it. It was a box canyon. I couldn't, I couldn't resolve it until I got a poem. The poem didn't resolve it, but it soothed me. It didn't answer the question to the mystery, but it soothed me. I was taken to a place of willingness. Hear the grace of that. 
I was taken to a place of willingness, uh, but I was willing to be taken. I did not answer the conundrum of willingness and grace. But when I look back over my shoulder, it does answer it. My response in gratitude and my, hum my humble, my humility, realizing that I can't get here from there, but here I am. I was delivered. I was delivered to sobriety, but I was delivered to empowerment as a result of doing these steps progressively. It took me 10, 12 years, three times through the work with three different step guides. I'm not suggesting that that is going to be your experience. I am suggesting that it's a dimmer switch. As long as you stay gently pressed up against it, leaning your shoulder, leaning into that dimmer switch, gently, look at my hands, gently leaning into the dimmer switch. You will push that dimmer switch up a notch at a time, and the dimmer switch will get brighter and brighter and brighter. But I also know, and I've experienced it, when you relax and, 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 do not have a consistent daily practice, the dimmer switch goes down a notch at a time, unnoticeably and subtly. And we don't know that the darkness is descending. Fortunately, it just takes a little pain for us to remember that. Unfortunately, sometimes it takes more pain than we're ready to handle and we relapse. The dimmer switch goes up a notch at a time. The dimmer switch goes down a notch at a time. It's grace and it's God and it's our willingness and it's our action. And I do believe that the secret to it all is accountability. This has been a spiritual experience unto itself. Mm -hmm. um, especially amazing grace. Oh my gosh. That yeah. is just the, my, my spirit animal. <laughs> so to speak uh, that no, song. Uh, yeah, and, I, I'm, and I'm serious to everybody. Listen to the bagpipes. No words, just the bagpipes, but have Kleenex ready. Oh my God, it's so wonderful. <laughs> you keep talking about sitting in the presence and allowing the presence to sit in me. And then I reflect that. Yeah. So Anyway, thank you so much for letting me share. And this, absolutely, I'm so, so grateful I came here today, Herb. Well, thank you. And, and you've pressed a button in me to just add another phrase to the mental pictures that you painted so wonderfully. And that is, I sit in the presence to absorb the presence, realizing that the presence is absorbing me. I had scoliosis. and then. Um, and my teeth, whatever, 10, whatever, the, the canal nerves were being, were destroyed. And it meant if I didn't have an operation, I would end up in a wheelchair. Yeah. And I had been treating my scoliosis with yoga and my neurosurgeon had, yeah, we're never going to operate. Anyways, I woke up and my right leg was not working 
and they thought it was temporary. And after a few EMGs and stuff, um, it's still not working 11 months later. And it seems that this is my reality, okay? Yeah. I mean, there's, on, there's only one doctor, and we know that's a higher power. But if I'm going to live in the present, this is my reality. Yeah. And it, it, when I came back, it was very difficult to meditate. And um, first, because I have rods in my back, and I couldn't relate to my, you know, to me, my higher power, like you say, comes to me, right? I mean, I, I am one. Um, and now, when I got this news right now, I feel um, it's almost like, wow, it's almost like when I first got sober, it's 30, what, four years ago, um, that there were two of me, right? There's a part of me that still can believe that this is the new me. So to bring amazing grace, right? I mean, I'm here. And to me, this is an invitation. Well, it's a new way of life. But like you were talking about, and I'll stop, like, you know, once a year, you have to review where you're going. I have to review my old way of life. It's not what it is today. Right. You're, you're, uh, you're adjusting to accept reality as it has emerged. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Hard. It's really hard, isn't it? It is extremely hard. Yeah. You know, yeah. um, I can't. No, I can't actually imagine. I can't imagine what you're going through. Yeah. So, do you? How? What? What do you do to support your attitude? Like, I'm, I'm hearing a positive attitude, a willingness to shift, and a willingness to accept. How do you support that? I think it's been my program, right? Yes. And and um. You know, through yoga, which, which I don't do just the physical yoga. Um, Wonderful, yeah. Yeah, you know, it's, it's a, anyways. So I've been doing the breath. I've been meditating. Yeah. Yes. I, I've been. Um, You're in action, exploring these various resources, the things that you can do. Right. Yeah. And, uh, and my, you know, I, I talk to my sponsor and. Oh. Um, to my old sponsor that is, you know, we're, we're going, you know, and I thought about, I might start doing the big book with you again, right. you know, like seeing everything as I never have seen it before, because this is a new me. <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, and, and, and I, I heard no complaint in that. I just heard, <laughs> no, I heard a sense of like, Adventure and wonder. Am I reading it correctly? Yes, yes, it is an adventure. Yeah, I'm yes. hearing it. But good lord, how do you how do you gin up such a positive attitude about such a life changing kind of recognition? 
I think it's faith and my my um my connection with my higher power. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the action that you take to get exposure and new information like what you're doing here and then to participate and share with us. Yeah, that's that's really wonderful. Very thank you for sharing that. No, thank you because um I was thinking, okay, I I got married after 24 years. My first husband died, and now um, I had somebody um, sing "Amazing Grace," and I had um, not a flute. I had a whatever a cello, something very soft. Nice. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And anyways, and I go, okay, "Amazing Grace," I guess. I'm going to find new pastures. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just and and what I'm hearing is an openness to allow it to manifest to yourself. This is for me. It's um. I just wrote something that expressed this. It's like the positive attitude is when we wake up that we're. So yeah, that's what it was. Some a woman last week said to me. Herb, every day I wake up, it's my birthday. Mm. I thought, oh, my God, what a great attitude. And then I pressed it in myself as I was thinking about that. Yes, I open the present. Right. That's nice. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Today is the present. The present that I'm opening. (laughs) It's a really nice kind of like positive way to enter into each day yeah because i don't i i have to say the serenity prayer i have you know i have to lay there and feel my higher power because i wake up and i go excuse me yeah Mm -hmm. you know yeah a lot of pain huh a lot of pain, yeah. yeah, yeah. So mm-hmm. physical, emotional, everything, spiritual. Yeah. 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 But yeah, I, you know, and I don't know. I might see you in six months and say, you know what? I'm waking up every morning and I'm opening my present. <laughs> well, you can do that, and uh, let's. I, I hope to. I hope you can. Uh, how do you say? Stay in my loop, and in three mm-hmm. to six months, give us an update as to how you're doing with that. I'll do that. Thanks. Thank you for listening. No, thank you. Oh, no, thanks so much for that. Yeah. I've been sober a while, you know, and I've, I've worked the steps and I I worked, I apply them daily, I believe, you know, and I do prayer and meditation and blah, 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 blah. But darn it, I'm still human and I hate that. Like I have a real hard time accepting that I'm going through a bunch of changes right now and I feel myself kind of um, unsettled, you know? And I feel, I keep hearing like, well, you shouldn't, you shouldn't feel like that. You should always. <laughs> well, the people who are telling you that don't have your best interest at heart and they're no. not premature. It's me. Oh, it's, it's you. Well, then you're yeah. not your best friend and you're not very mature in that area. hundred <laughs> percent true. What do I do? Thank you. <laughs> well, Wenzel, wait, wait, wait. I have an answer for you. You said you've been around for a while and blah, 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 blah. Yes. Yeah, maybe too much blah, blah. How about when's the last time you worked the steps from one to 12 out of the big book with the guidance of a step guide? 
Never. Whoa, well, there you go. Why don't you try I, that? Yeah, well, thank you. Because I, I have a sponsor who I've worked the steps with, but she's one of these people that really feels like once you've worked them, you don't work them again. You know what I mean? So it's well, that of, may be true. I mean, it doesn't sound like it's working for you, though. It might be true for her, you know, so it I'll give that true. some thought. No, it might be true. Absolutely. I, I I, don't challenge anybody else's experience. But when you tell me that you're disturbed by your current life circumstances as they're changing and you have never worked the steps out of the big book with a step guide or sponsor, then I say, well, you know, maybe that you could try that. So definitely something that I can consider thank you very much uh, only, only if you want to feel better <laughs> <laughs> well there lies the problem i think yeah yeah don't 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 take any action if you want to swim in your misery i've done that for a long time it's true and i know i guess that's the hard thing like i feel like i know better than this you know intellectually. Uh, i heard that right from the beginning blah 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 I know. I hear you. Thank you. I'm going to shut up and listen. Thank you. Oh, no, no, no. I, I wasn't putting that down at all. No, I, I was just okay. quoting you, encouraging you. Uh, you. You are so ripe for a new experience. Well, thank you. I, I definitely will look at that and maybe just go. I've been thinking lately I should work the steps all over again. Anyhow, I'm in a different place than I was 12 years ago. Wonderful. Um, so perhaps I will do that. Thank you for the suggestion, though. I appreciate it. And I enjoyed the um, whole workshop. And, and, and when you do that, I'm not even going to say if. When you do that, cycle back and let us know, okay? Okay, I will. Thank you, Herb. Thank you, everyone. Right. Thank you very much. Right. Six months into the program, somebody I knew in the program, uh, I was telling them, you know, I've, I've started uh, uh, trying to pray. And, and she whipped around and said, if you don't get a sponsor and you don't start working the steps, you're just going to kill yourself. And then I'm never going to talk to you again. <laughs> and I said, there's something about that that made sense. <laughs> so, yeah, at least the humor. <laughs> what I did was just pretend like there was something to pray to. That's right. Uh, okay, that's it. And that's right. I also, I think this is an important part is I abased myself. I did something to indicate to myself that I'm trying to connect with something greater than me. I get down on my knees. Yeah, okay. Right? Mm -hmm. But it wasn't. No, it's an act of humility. Actually. It's an act of humility in abasement. It is. Yeah. You've said it a number of times. You don't yeah. get down on your knees for God. You get down on your knees for you. You yeah. convince so that you know what, what time. This is a power greater than you. Yeah. And you don't know how much greater. So you better right. be humble. Yeah. Um, within two weeks, I had a, an experience that just... Now I know that there is a spirit of the universe that is underlies reality, exists between us, within us, and, and among us, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, I don't know anything of the nature of it other than my impression and my guess is that it was all around just waiting for a scratch in my veneer a crack in my coating, a, a chink in my armor right. to whoosh in and yeah. say, guess what? Hello. So now 
the second thing I took away was a belief system that requires me to finish the 12 steps. So I can't leave. Even if it means listening to her for 15 hours in a week. Right. It's, it, you know, it, you know, it's wonderful that you've found a resource and all listening to me is uh, help is obviously it's helpful because that's what you're doing, but it's <laughs> about taking the actions that are suggested, not reading the book and not listening to me. It's about doing those actions because until you do the actions, nothing's going to change. Well, I am action, action guy now, and I got a sponsor and, right. and, he, and he said, it's amazing from our different backgrounds, how much we have in common. And I'm like, good. I've been thinking about like the accountability aspect a lot. I've, I've been sober six years and I live in the Midwest, but my sponsor is in California. We've never met in person. You know, it's just the, the world right now. It's interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, and I certainly have some, some step work to do, but in general, I don't, I don't think I've figured out how to like have an accountability partner and what that looks like. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I, I feel like I'm good at getting really esoteric and like stuck inside myself, but I really understand that like none of this is going to come alive unless I um, am accountable and I'm grounded and like um, working with, with humans. And I think it's easy for the dynamic with a sponsor, at least for me to be kind of just a call when I have problems or something, but I don't know um, in a practical sense how to just have this relationship of like accountability that you're talking about. Sure. And uh, it's, it's different for everyone, I'm sure. I just wondered if you could uh, expound on that. Yeah, yeah. A lot of times it's with your sponsor, whether that's a local sponsor or not, it doesn't make any difference these days with the communication devices that we have, especially Zoom. Um, I personally believe in local sponsorship so that I can be face-to-face -face with this person probably once a month at a minimum. And um, that's sort of my goal. Uh, I have a sponsor and I visit usually about once a month, once every two months with the person face-to-face. -face. We talk periodically in between. Originally, though, is the best example for me of what I mean by accountability, and it's really important in the first five or 10 years, five or 10 years. And this man had me call him every day. And the formula was, and this might help, tell me what you're thinking, tell me what you're feeling, tell me how you're behaving transparently. I said, what does transparent mean? I want your insides and your outsides to match. Eventually says, I want you to be rigorously honest with me. I know you can't be, you're brand new and you don't even know what it means. <laughs> so the formula, I don't know whether he actually knew the definition as I've now come to define spiritual awakening is exactly the formula for his conversation that he wanted me to fill. Tell me what you're thinking, feeling, and doing, because my definition of a spiritual awakening is a change in the way I'm thinking, feeling, and doing. Now, I mean, to me, that was a wonderful coincidence. So maybe it's intuitive, but it was certainly healthy for me to learn to call, because I never did that before on a daily basis to talk to anybody. And I certainly wouldn't be telling them progressively, more honestly, about my insights. And so 
for me, that was accountability. I suggest to the people I work with um, as a sponsor that they call me once a week and they just give me a read as to what's going on in their life, uh, whether it's positive or negative, doesn't matter. I mean, obviously if they ha are having a problem and need some help with something or they're working with a sponsee themselves and they need some sort of a supervisor direction, then we'll do that. But I'm talking about, as you were talking about the accountability thing. So I think once you have some established relationship with your sponsor or step guide or accountability partner, and you've completed the steps where you're living in 10, 11, and 12, probably a weekly and or monthly is probably sufficient. Meanwhile, daily is probably warranted. It's certainly my experience. And I progressively got more honest over time and comfortable yeah. with being honest. Yeah, it's a big one. <laughs> Well, many, uh, many layers to that one. Yeah, for sure. No, but it's really important that you have somebody that you can trust and that's available and is and is willing to deal with you for real, authentically. You know, that's, I mean, there's not a lot of people that would fall into that category. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're good. Wonderful. Wonderful. Thank you. Huh, this isn't the one that I had changed. So I'm, I, I don't see that I can do that right now. What I had intended to have, and this slide doesn't reflect it, is to drop the word eternal from the last line. So let's pray it that way. I mean, you can pray it out loud or silently, you're all on mute. And um, I will pray it out loud. This is the turnaround that is promised in the 12-step process. And by that turnaround, I mean from the bedevilments to the promises. Listen to it in that light. From the bedevilment, all of the stuff on the left-hand side of the prayer, to the promises all the vision statements on the right-hand side. Lord, make me a channel of your peace, that where there is hatred, I may bring love, that where there is wrong, I may bring the spirit of forgiveness, that where there is discord, I may bring harmony, that where there is error, I may bring truth, that where there is doubt, I may bring faith, that where there is despair, I may bring hope. That where there are shadows, I may bring light. That where there is sadness, I may bring joy. Lord, grant that I may seek rather to comfort than to be comforted. To understand than to be understood. To love than to be loved. For it is by self-forgetting that one finds. It is by forgiving that one is forgiven. I'm going to change this last line. It is by dying that one awakens to life. Yeah, I'm not so much concerned after death as I am before death. I want to live this life fully. Thanks, everybody, for showing up and having a conversation with us today. I hope that uh, it was helpful. Have a wonderful Thanksgiving. 
And I'm sure that many of us will meet again one of these weeks or days.